Welcome to the Subtle Cane Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Smith, broadcasting from the Aorta of America, beautiful festival city, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, where we pump out reason and pierce through the propaganda. Here we go. Welcome. Glad to be back. If this is the first time you are listening, thank you for being here. If you are a returning listener, thank you as well. Your continued support is much appreciated. Today I was going to get back into the allegory of the cave. Uh, We did part one. We set the scene and went through the cave and the fire. And then we went into freedom stage one from part two. I sat down and I read through this, recorded an episode, I went back and I listened to it. In order to stay engaged, I think it would be a little bit difficult to read through the entire thing. I'm not saying that you can't pay attention. I am saying that when I listened to myself, reading it again, and had my wonderful wife listen to it as well, well, it was apparent that reading through the entire allegory of the cave may be counterproductive when trying to build an audience. What I will do, though, is I will keep that link in the show notes to the Allegory of the Cave as translated by Thomas Sheehan. And you can go ahead and you can read it word by word if that is something you were interested in doing. I would suggest doing that. I don't necessarily want to read it word for word, but I can read some little snippets and we can discuss the implications, or at least do a little bit of breakdown on it. So why don't we go ahead and get into episode three, Blinded by the Light. So in the beginning of this whole allegory, Plato writes this dialogue between Socrates and his older brother Glaucon. And if anybody out there wants to correct me uh, about my pronunciation of his brother's name, I have only seen it in text, and that's my best guess on how it is pronounced. How it starts is there's a conversation about these prisoners, and they are chained in a way that they cannot move their heads. They're stuck looking at this shadow puppetry that's going on in front of them, and that is their whole reality. Everything that they know pertains to the shadow puppets, the dancing shadows on the walls of the cave, and the talking that's going on behind them that's echoing off and they believe is coming from the shadows. Then somebody comes and unshackles one of the prisoners, stands him up, turns him around, and breaks his reality, shows him that it is not necessarily what he thought it was. The shadows are not the beings. The shadows are not really reality. So his whole perception about the world is changed. And when he turns around, the fire is bright and it hurts his eyes and he takes a little while to adjust and this whole paradigm shift is disorienting and we can kind of liken it to the matrix if that's something that you've seen getting unplugged and pulled out right so his reality is shifted and we kind of talked about how that is staggering and and disorienting and some of the implications of of what that what that would mean well after stage one we go into freedom stage two. And here I will read just a portion and, it, and then we will talk about what's going on. Socrates, 
Now, however, if someone using force were to pull him, who had been freed from his chains, away from there, and to drag him up the cave's rough and steep ascent, and not to let go of him until he had dragged him out into the light of the sun, would not the one who had been dragged like this feel in the process pain and rage? Okay, it's one thing that he's unshackled, turned around, and has to let his eyes adjust to the firelight, sees these artifacts, understands his reality is not what he thought it was. But then it goes to like inception level crazy, because this is a dream within a dream within a dream. Because he is then yanked out of the cave, dragged up this rough ascent out into blinding light of the sun. Now, if you want to talk about disorienting, going from a dark cave into the daylight, that will really do it. Socrates and Glaucon have a conversation about how much harder that would be to adjust to. His eyes adjusting to the sun. So at first he's just looking at shadows on the ground and everything's blurry and he he catches some reflections off the water. But it takes him a while before he can really wrap his head around what's going on and his eyes adjust. What then happens is that he becomes accustomed to reality. and, And this change in his perception makes him think about the people he left behind down in the cave, shackled in there. Because down in the cave, what's happening is they are in the drama that's unfolding. So then he starts thinking about what counts for wisdom down in the cave. And Socrates says this, However, what if among the people in the previous dwelling place, the cave, certain honors and commendations were established for whomever most clearly catches sight of what passes by and also best remembers which of them normally is brought by first, which one later, and which ones at the same time? And what if there were honors for whoever could most easily foresee which one might come by next? So they're down there, they're wrapped up in the shadow drama. Their whole life is awarding each other commendations for who can best predict what's going to happen in the shadow drama and what is really going on. In a way, I feel like I'm talking about people who are watching Lost or a soap opera or something. You know what I mean? So the prisoner is thinking about that. And then they start talking about what would the liberated prisoner now prefer? And Socrates says, Do you think the one who had gotten out of the cave would still envy those within the cave and would want to compete with them who are esteemed and who have power? Or would not he or she much rather wish for the condition that Homer speaks of, namely, to live on the land above ground as the paid menial of another destitute peasant? Wouldn't he or she prefer to put up with absolutely anything else rather than associate with those opinions that hold in the cave? And be that kind of human being. So now he's he's thought about the people back down in the cave. Probably has some measure of pity on them. Because of their lack of understanding. But then he thinks about, well, I would not want that anymore. Or at least Socrates is asking the question. Do you think he would even envy the people that are considered powerful? Or have esteemed status down in the cave? And Glaucon says, well, no, of course not. I don't think he'd want to be that kind of person. And Socrates is saying, well, wouldn't he rather endure just about anything than having 
having to go back down into that cave and partake in that drama again. And Glaucon agrees and says, no, uh, there's no way he'd want to do that. So in the part three, what happens is the prisoner is returned to the cave. And now this is terrible because he's been up there. He, he would do anything to avoid this, but this is what's happening to him. Okay. So he returns. Socrates says, and now I responded, consider this. If this person who had gotten out of the cave were to go back down again and sit in the same place as before, would he not find in that case, coming suddenly out of the sunlight, that his eyes were filled with darkness? So now his eyes have adjusted to the light. He's living, we'll call it the good life, even though he's willing to be destitute. He doesn't care as long as he gets his freedom. The freedom's taken. He's going back down in the cave. What happens when you go from daylight into a dark room? Well, your eyes have to readjust. So then he's talking about, Socrates has a little talk about, well, what would happen when he gets back down there? Socrates says, now, if once again, along with those who had remained shackled there, the freed person had to engage in the business of asserting and maintaining opinions about the shadows. While his eyes are still weak, and before they have readjusted, an adjustment that would require quite a bit of time. Would he not then be exposed to ridicule down there? And would they not let him know that he had gone up, but only in order to come back down into the cave with his eyes ruined? And thus it certainly does not pay to go up. And what's the final outcome? The final outcome, Socrates says, and if they can get hold of this person who takes it in hand to free them from their chains and lead them up, and if they could kill him, would they not actually kill him? And Glaucon responds, they certainly will. Wow, what do we take away from this? That was an extremely abbreviated version of this. So out of the cave, into the sunlight, the pain, the rage, and the blindness. He has to get used to the light. He has to become accustomed to this new understanding of the world around him. And even though it's hard and it's painful, and it takes him a while, and he starts with just shadows and reflections, Eventually, he can look at the sun, and he understands the scope of everything, and how blind he had been, and how foolish it had been to be carried away in the passions of the shadows on the cave wall. When he returns, not only does he return to imprisonment, and to have to re-engage with this mimicry of life that's going on with the shadows on the wall, Now he's also ridiculed and held in low esteem, not only because he can't see, so he doesn't really know what's going on, but also for going out and looking at the sun in the first place. Because as far as they're concerned, no good came of it. No good came of it. It was pain. It was blindness. It was suffering. And now he's just sitting back next to him. So what was the point? What was the point? And the point... In the end, that Socrates makes is that if these people, not knowing what this other, what this prisoner that was released knows, not having experienced it, all they know is that this guy had pain, suffering, and blindness, and now he's sitting back down. So wouldn't they rather kill the person that's coming to get them than have to go up there and experience that suffering themselves? That's the allegory of the cave. So what do we do with that information? Why, Aaron? Why did you do this to us? Why have we been listening to this? 
Well, of course, you get a general sense of where we're going with this. The idea, first of all, that there are shadows on the wall, that we are being subjected to this kind of deception. That's at least what I'm proposing. How am I proposing that? What is, what, what is the thought process that I have with that? Well, a lot of it has to do with the way we interact with each other now, the way we are drawn into these dramas that really have no attachment to reality, the celebrity lifestyle, politics, all of the social media, virtual prisons that we're building for ourselves. Go into a public place. Go sit down in a public place and pay attention to the people around you. Are they interacting with each other? Now, of course, some are. How many of them are ignoring each other and just staring at their phones? How many? Most of them, I would say, in my experience, at least as of late, I will go onto the campus and I will look around and there are very few people interacting with each other. We are living in an isolated society. It's hard to watch sometimes. I am not above it all. I'm an introvert by nature, and so I'm actually more comfortable sitting here in front of this microphone by myself than I am in a crowded room. Well, that's my little rant for now. Back to the message at hand. Trying to find the truth. Paradigm-shifting truth. So our life is a very dynamic thing, and we are constantly readjusting and reassessing, taking in new information and adapting to it, right? But there are things, there are moments in our lives when we get paradigm-shifting information, and it can be painful, and it can be hard to overcome that reeling, that feeling of reeling and just disorientation, but we need to be able to do that. We need to be able to look at information, adjust to it, adapt to it, even if it is paradigm shifting, even if something that we hear, even if something that we read goes against what everything that we had believed before. It doesn't mean we have to automatically buy into it, but what it does mean is that we have to be able to at least objectively assess it. Is this true? Is this a closer representation of reality than I have been existing in? That's not easy. It takes courage. It takes tenacity. It is not something that comes to us naturally. Our minds need to be flexible, and we have to approach things in the most objective way that we can. I know I was talking about when you're younger, you tend to have more of a sense that you have things figured out. I was talking about how you can get a little uppity when you start seeing things in your life that are different, that you start accepting things that challenge your perception of the world. And then you start looking around and you wonder why other people aren't seeing these things. And you can get, you can find yourself in a position where you are looking down on the people around you. And I remember my wife asked me, well, when was that for you? Because I was thinking about that. And I started talking about this time when we lived in this small town. And I was doing a lot of reading and I was expanding my knowledge base. And I was starting to see some things that didn't really jive with my worldview. And I was challenging myself to accept things that maybe didn't feel comfortable. Now, I know that's a little vague, but that's okay. It can be, because it's a, it's a general situation I'm talking about. And why I bring it up is because 
I still do this. I find myself still doing this, but I have to constantly be on guard for it. And so I'm trying very hard to do that. You know, we have a very divided country in America. We have a very divided world, I would say, in general. I don't think that's a major revelation for anybody. But particularly, okay, in the sphere of influence that I have, or the sphere of observance, at least, that I have about the world around me, the smaller, you know, closer or the further away world, especially in America right now. There is such a divide, and there's so many different tools that are being used to divide us. Race, religion, sexuality, politics, it seems to be never-ending. And it, it occurred to me that most of this, most of this stuff that's dividing us, that's keeping us apart from our friends, from our family, from people we don't know but should know, it's all shadow puppets. It's all shadow puppets. The real stuff, the real stuff is where we need to be concerned. The sense of community, understanding that we're all human beings and that we need each other and that these shadow puppet divisions that are being put in front of us are petty and unnecessary. And maybe it's a very important topic that you disagree with someone on and maybe you feel very strongly about it, but that is not enough reason to treat someone like less of a human, to other them. There's a lot of othering going on. There's an exercise that I think everybody should do at least once in their life. You need to pick a topic that you're very passionate about, something that you feel so strongly about that you feel the emotion well up in you when you discuss it. Pick something that you feel that strongly about. Make an argument for it, for your position, that is. Now, that shouldn't be that hard for you. It it shouldn't be. Because if you feel that strongly about it, then someone has convinced you in such a way that you have an emotional attachment to it. Hopefully, that's something that you have a good argument for. If not, reevaluate that. But sit down and make that argument. Make it in a way that you could convince somebody. That's the easy part. Now comes the hard part, but the important part. You have to sit down and you have to take that topic that you feel very passionately about and you need to argue against yourself with intellectual integrity and honesty. That means you don't, that does not mean that you have to believe what the other person believes, but you have to take that topic and you have to look at what other people believe and you have to look at their reasons with an open mind. Sit down and really think it through. Really make out an argument. Argue passionately against what you are passionate for. What will that do for you? Other than be frustrating. It will be frustrating. But what will that do for you? Number one, that will help you to see other people's opinions, other people's positions. You will be able to see where they are coming from. And it will be harder to other them. Maybe you will be able to extend them a little grace and say, I understand the reasons why you believe that. And I can respect the fact that you have reasons. You aren't just crazy. You aren't just a bad person. It's okay to disagree. Wouldn't that be great if you could show up at a family function and you have, let's say, an uncle or an aunt or a grandparent or a parent 
that passionately disagrees with you about your political stance or pro-choice or or pro-life or racial inequality or religion but you would be able to sit down have a conversation with them and in the end the most important thing would be the relationship you would be able to sit down put your hand on their shoulder and say i don't agree with you but i love you and mean it we need more of that right now i know It sounds like something that should be on a greeting card, or maybe it's just wishful thinking. But I think that we can do it. I think it's possible. We need to set aside our addiction to the shadow drama. It's hard to do. You're going to have to put down your phone for a while. You're going to have to stop scrolling through social media and Reddit and Facebook, and you're going to have to stop watching Fox News or MSNBC or CNN for a little while. You're going to have to unplug. You're going to have to open your eyes. Just live in the world. You can come out under the sun. Get away from that cave. Come out under the sun. You know what? It's beautiful, but it's also terrible. It's full of grace and love, and it's also full of hate and suffering. But it's the real world. We have to stop living out the shadow drama. Now, I know that's a bit of a rant. And I know that there are issues that you just can't seem to find common ground on. What we have to stop doing is sacrificing our relationships because of that. It sounds easy, that that little saying, agree to disagree. But you have to really be able to do that. We have to be able to do that as a society. You know, there are puppeteers. There's a lot of puppeteers. There's politicians. There's corporate puppeteers, activist puppeteers religious puppeteers, technocratic puppeteers, authoritarian puppeteers. All I'm asking is to consider it. Put it down. Put down the phone. Log off. Not forever. Just give yourself a break. Let that dopamine build up again and be good for you. It's good for me. I have to do it myself. I have to force myself to. I'm not on a soapbox over here. I have the same problems. I mean, I'm I'm not on social media, but that's a choice that I made because I know what it would do to me. I had Facebook years ago, and it was uh, it was very unpleasant for me. I mean, I told, I kept telling myself I could keep in touch with my loved ones, but in touch, not really. No, looking at pictures, Facebook stalking people—that's not really keeping in touch. I'm hoping we can discuss topics on this podcast. That may feel a little like someone just dragged you out of a cave into the sunlight. And I hope that you have the ability to weigh things that you hear. To be exposed to information that maybe challenges perceptions. And I hope that you can at least let your eyes adjust to the light. Look at what's going on. You may or may not come to the same conclusions that I have about things. Like I said, I'm not here for conclusions. I'm here for the questions. We're all human beings. We got to live in this world together. We're just scraping by, most of us, doing the best we can with what we have. Let's do it together. Your time is valued here. We're working on the value for value system. I've explained it in previous podcasts. What it is, is that if you find value in what I'm doing here and what we're doing here at the podcast, you can return value. We're not going to use advertising, so I'm not going to have an income stream for the podcast in the traditional way. 
And the reason for that is that I don't think that advertising has a place in free and open speech. I understand its value in the open free market, but advertising by its very nature is manipulation. And I don't want to be subject to any potential manipulation in this podcast. So I have to rely on the good faith of my producers, you, the listeners. There are ways to contribute, and there are links in the show notes. You can use PayPal, Venmo. I have some cryptocurrencies, so I can accept crypto. But I'm also interested in art. I'm interested in music. And if you have something that you want to share and you want some exposure, as long as it's not completely vulgar or inappropriate, I'm happy to give you some exposure. I was in a couple bands myself. We didn't get a lot of exposure. I'm happy to help out with that. I really appreciate you being here. This is a process. This technology, the whole idea of sitting here and doing a monologue and trying to talk to you, it's, it's a process. And if you're hanging in here with me, thank you very much. I appreciate it. The more we can build this thing up, the more dynamic the show can be. The more we can bring in guests, we can have some interactions, we can have a little more dynamic soundboard, which I guess would be helpful. And send me an email. Tell me what you're interested. Let me know what's uh, on your mind. If Is there a topic that you think needs to be addressed, dissected, deconstructed? I can't, I can't address everything, obviously. Uh, this is a one-man show. But I am happy to read your emails, and I'm happy to go through and try to find answers. And I may just email you back, but if it's something that I think we can attack on the show, I'll be happy to do that. I have some other topics I'm going to be talking about, and I think for now we are done with the basic philosophy, but I really wanted to have a background, okay? I wanted to talk about the different kinds of reasoning so we can look at deductive, inductive, and abductive reasoning, so we can take things apart a little better. Are people using correlation in a way that presents it as causation? Are they pretending they're making a deductive argument? when they're really making an inductive or abductive argument. Thank you for your time. It is an honor and a pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope that you've enjoyed the show, and I hope that you're back. Please feel free to email me. Let's correspond. Let's start a dialogue. For all of you listening, you are valued, you are loved, and you are worthy. God bless, and good night. Like a fear as a world